Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap. I said give Jesus a big hand clap. I really, really hope my wife offended you to find out how saved you are. Amen. What an honor to be here. Man, you guys are packed out from the front to the back. You guys are going to have to have two midweek services. You ready for that? You ain't ready. What a blessing. Uh, I need something up here. Is it a monitor? Something sounds weird up here on the stage. If they can make that adjustment on the sound. Uh, well, I am very blessed to be here with you guys. And uh, I've, I've been on a break, kind of a sabbatical. And we came into town to hear our dear friend, Miles Rutherford, minister. And uh, Esther got to spend some time with her family and my family. All of our family lives here in Los Angeles still um, before it falls off into the ocean. I can't ignore what's happening. Every one of you are thinking in your mind, probably even in the last few weeks, what's going on in the world? It's very difficult for me not to be obsessed in scripture or not talk about what's really happening. I think it's just a disservice to the people of God to talk about non-essential things when Jesus is coming back so quick. People are starting to run back to church. Uh, and some people are falling away like I've never seen. Uh, if I have a title, it's called, it's time for us to wake up. You might want to share this. Because um, I think people just need to be aware of what's happening. I, I, was, I didn't leave my hotel room all day today just reading and praying and preparing. And I, I think this scripture, I want to read first, just to launch up, as you've heard me preach before, I do use a lot of scripture. Uh, I just feel like the word of God said it right the first time. I don't need opinions. I need the word of God. Revelations thirteen eleven. Paul says, to live like this, all the more urgent. For time is running out. And you know, it is a strategic hour in human history. It is time for us to wake up, for our full salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You and I could have been born any other time in human history. As a born-again believer, we believe in divine providence of God that it's not an accident that I'm alive in 2023. I could have been born 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth, but no, God said, I wanted you and I to be alive in this strategic time in history. But for you born-again believers, the ecclesia ones, the church, he wanted you to be saved, born again, for you to be the light of the world in this time in history. 
He wanted you to be the one to hold the line, to share the gospel, to spread the good news, and which I believe, which I'll share tonight, to be the ones closing the door of the church. In the Acts chapter 2, they had the great opportunity to open a door. We are the generation that the door's about to close, and there'll be no more time to preach because night is coming when no man can work again. It is happening now. If I asked most people, do you believe in the return of Jesus? They would say yes. Do you believe it's quick, going to happen soon? Most people would say yes. If I asked if you believed in heaven and hell, you'd say yes. But my question is, how much has your theology changed your lifestyle? How, how much has it caused you to share the gospel without fear or favor outside of this building? I love what's happening. First of all, this is my favorite church to preach in when I'm here. Your pastors have been my close friends. They were there the day I got saved. I've known them forever. I have a lot of friends here that I've known for many years. But what counts is not what we do here. It's what we do when we leave here. (laughs) What does the scripture mean? We're in this strategic time and our salvation is closer than ever before. Jesus is coming back. We've heard it. We've talked about it. But just in the last several weeks, more things prophetically are happening around the world than ever before. And we must be able to discern the very times that we live in. We, we see it. We talk about it. Everyone's got an opinion about it. I, but I'm also seeing more people want to argue about non-essentials than getting people saved or born again. Jesus said in John 14 too, I go prepare a place for you. In verse 3, and if I go prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. We know the word of God speaks about this final judgment on sin. We know the word of God speaks about Jesus coming back. He did not come and just leave a bunch of great parables and stories for us and live a good life. Come to God, you'll get a good job. You'll got to blind a woman and she'll marry you. No, he wanted you to be a part of his kingdom. He's the alpha, the omega. In other words, there's a beginning and there is an end to this thing. Okay? But all of these events happening in the world, I mean, how many more UFOs do you want to hear about? I mean, you're hearing about the most bizarre things happening around the world and nations are lining up that were prophesied about thousands of years ago. And how would it be just so accurately it's taking place right now? Things that were prophesied hundreds and even thousands of years ago. And we're seeing a convergency on these things right now. A tribulation's coming. We totally can see a one world agenda an antichrist is coming an Armageddon a millennial reign in Christ the resurrection of the dead we know these things are about to happen but is it moving us to be what we're supposed to be I think the last two years we've seen God expose the seeker sensitive cappuccino church he has he, done that, that mentality come to church what God can do for me no there is a time God's raising up this generation that God can do something through you enough we don't need a god to serve us we have to serve the king of kings and the lord of lords we're his servants he has a plan he has a purpose he has a unique destiny for each one of you in this place if you believe that give him praise you know i guess the question is 
Are you ready for his return? I, I mean, like right now. If he came right now, are you ready? Are you living a rapture-ready lifestyle? If he came. I mean, these are some sobering things. Scripture, I'm going to get in. I'm, I can't even scratch the surface of what I want to talk about. But the Bible speaks about these things. I'm going to read you quite a bit of verses for a moment. Let me start off with Ephesians 5.27. That he might present to himself a glorious church. Not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she should be holy without blemish. Jesus is preparing his church to be presented as a bride. The bride's coming. He's coming back without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. A holy church. Last 20-some years, the word holiness has been replaced by the word legalism. By people who just don't want to live holy in the church. Let me get right into this because I, I'm fired up right now. Luke 21. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. And these are those chapters where Jesus speaks about end times, what it's going to be like. So bear with me for a moment. Follow along on the screen if you could. Luke 21 verse 7, Jesus says, some people ask, teacher, then when will it, this happen? And how can we know when these things are about to take place? Jesus replied, don't be fooled by those who will come and claim to be me. For they will say, I am Christ. And now is the time. But don't follow them. Then you will hear about wars, riots. Don't be afraid. These things have to happen first. But that isn't the end. Nation will go to war against another. And kingdom will attack each other. And there will be great earthquakes. In many places, people will starve to death and suffer terrible diseases. All sorts of frightening things will be seen in the sky. UFOs. No, I'm just kidding. You never know what they're thinking. <laughs> Chapter 21, verse 25. A few verses down. Strange things will happen to the sun, the moon, the stars. The nations of the, uh, on earth will be afraid of the roaring sea tides. And they won't know what to do. People will be frightened that they will, and they will faint because of what is happening in the world. Every power in the sky will be shaken. The Son of Man will be seen coming in a cloud with great power and glory. And when all of this starts happening, stand up straight, be brave, for you soon will be set free. This is Luke giving his account of the same portion of scripture where Matthew gives the same account in chapter 24, which I think most people probably more familiar with. Let me read to you in verse number three. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. Then his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be a sign or a signal of your return at the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. Let, let me pause there for a moment. I am shocked. I, I was talking to, uh, um, what's your name? Yeah, you. Isaac, Pastor Isaac. I've known him forever. I just went blank. <laughs> what's your name, dude? What church is this? 
No, I was talking to Pastor Isaac on the phone earlier. I go, I'm shocked of how many Christians in church have no clue about the Bible. Have no clue about the return of Christ or the rapture or why we support Israel. They have no clue. I'm like, what in the world have people been preaching on the last 20, 30 years? They have no stance. They have no spiritual doctrine or theology. And somehow, all of a sudden, now you have some influencer that you don't even know where he got his... Just for shock value. Don't let no one mislead you. Just because they're on social media or just because they say things and like... I'm just shocked and deceived, but it, the Bible prophesies about this great falling away and deception. So verse number four, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. And then you will hear of wars, threats of wars. Do not panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't, uh, won't follow immediately. For nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in many parts of the world. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come all over the world because you are my followers. I'm, I'm sorry, verse number nine. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed, and you'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. There is more hatred and animosity towards Christianity and our time than ever before. They blame us for all the problems. They blame us for their sexual confusion. They blame us because they can't kill a baby on demand. They bl- I'm going to say it. I don't care if you don't want to say it. I'm going to say it. They blame us that we're the last stand, the church of Jesus Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We are the ones proclaiming the gospel, the salt, the light. Verse number, uh, verse number 10, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate one another. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, for the love of many will grow cold. But the ones who endure to the end will be saved. But the good news of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world, so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. The day is coming when you will see What Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object, or the desolation, that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. We'll get back to Daniel in a few moments. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not come down to his house to pack. A person out on the field must not return to get a coat. How terrible it will be for a pregnant woman or a nursing mother in those days. Pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. There will be no greater anguish than any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. This is the Bible. This is your loving Savior, the baby in the manger, the humble man on the cross, speaking about it's not going to get better in the world. I'm sorry, are you a preacher of doom? No, I'm just reading what Jesus said. It's not going to get better. The world's going to get more hateful. It's going to get more wicked. There's going to be more chaos, more stuff. But you are saved and born again for this time and this hour. 
You have been placed here at this strategic time. Verse 22, in fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders and so deceive, even if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out the, des- the desert, don't bother to go look. Or uh, uh, look, he is hiding here, don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines in the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of the vultures shows that there is a carcass nearby, so these signs will indicate the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then... At last, the sign of the Son of Man will be appear in the heavens, and there will be a deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather the, his chosen ones from all over the world, far uh, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Verse 32. Now learn... The lesson of the fig tree. Let me pause for a second. Jesus is referring to Israel. That is what the fig tree represents. This is a key thing here. A very key thing. Probably one of the most key things of our prophetic time. When the branches bud and the leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is near and right at the door. I tell you the truth, that this generation will not pass from the scene until these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angel of heaven or the son himself. Only the father knows. When the son of man returns, it will be like the days, uh, it will be like Noah's day. Those days before the flood, the people were uh, enjoyed banquets, parties, weddings, right up to the end time Noah entered the boat. People did not realize what was going on until the flood came and swept them all away. This is what Uh, This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour in a mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch. Tell your neighbor, keep watch. But don't look at your watch tonight because I'm not preaching short. (laughs) It's going to let you know right now. And if you leave, you ain't making the rapture. Just going to say that right now. For you don't know what day the Lord, for you do not know the day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. A faithful, sensible servant is one 
to whom the master can give responsibility of managing his other's household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of his, uh, uh, his own. But if that servant is evil and thinks your master won't be back for a while and begins to beat on the other servants partying and getting drunk, the master return unannounced, unexpected, and will cut that servant to pieces and assign him to the place of the hypocrites in which there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, Jesus is so nice and loving. I just read you a couple chapters in the Bible. I could probably do a mic drop right now and do an altar call on salvation. That's, that's how the word of God goes. But can I be honest with you? We have the wrong image of Jesus in America. We, we, I mean, the great tribulation coming is the wrath of God. It's the judgment of God. It's not the devil. And we, 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 we kind of made God look like, you know, you know, Mr. Rogers. It's just always a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And that's not reality. God is pretty much, ha this is literally talking about enough's enough. I've given the world plenty of time. And now it's happening. And it's happening on our watch. Look at the words of Jesus. Everything I read to you was scripture from Jesus so far outside of Paul in the book of Romans. Everything here is concerning the signs of these end times. And there is a considerable effort here by Jesus spelling out urgency. Pretty much spelling out, I'm not playing games. Now, if a preacher says that stuff, you're, you're a fear mongerer. That's why I was very careful to read the whole thing to you. But Jesus wouldn't do well preaching in America today. You're using scare tactics. And all I did was read you the word of God. It is amazing how many times Christians go to church and never hear some of these scriptures. Never hear the words of what Jesus actually said. And this is all in response. Luke 21 and Matthew 24. His disciples asked, when will the end come? When will this all take place? And then he just lays down so much. Signs of the times. I mean, he gets into religious deception. He speaks about regional warfare. He speaks about tribal warfare. Nations, generate, uh, countries that come against each other. Scarcity of food, diseases, plagues. Pandemics. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. It's going to come again. We have an election. Didn't you know that? <laughs> and he says all these things are the beginning of sorrows. He describes it like a pregnant woman. Birth pains. Contractions. You know. We don't know the exact day the child's coming, but we know it's coming. That's how he describes it. These are the signs. Signs are not proof of the end. Rather, they're the beginning of the end. 
this intensity, if you study eschatology in a whole, is speaking about when these signs are all happening at once. Now, there's always been some of these things, but now we're seeing a convergent of all of this. It's a reminder that Jesus is coming back. It is a time where a spiritual awakening and spiritual deception is happening at the same time. Verse 32, he says, listen, now learn the lesson of the fig tree. When the branches bud and its leaves are begin to sprout out, you know that summer is near. Some people are oblivious to what he's speaking about here, but he's speaking about when Israel becomes a nation. Now understand, for a long time, the Jews have not had a nation. For a long, long time, hundreds and hundreds of years, no nation. They've been persecuted way beyond what we just know of the Holocaust in Germany. I mean, Europe, Spain, Italy, even England. There was inquisitions where they killed hundreds of thousands of Jews and somehow scattered all over the world. They were able to maintain their heritage and the word of God that we have today and carry it on and on and on and say, well, and I'm getting somewhere because I am shocked of, let me say it like this, this anti-Semitic hatred not, not from the world, but people that call themselves Christians. I, I made a post just, what, a week or two ago. And Christians, how, how could you stand for the Jews? They killed Jesus, who was a Jew. 66 books in the Bible, all written by Jews. All the apostles, Jews. He's coming back to a millennial reign in Jerusalem. It's bizarre. It's wicked. And it's also part of prophecy. When did this start? This watch the fig tree. 1948. Isaiah 66 verse number 8. Listen to this prophecy. Whoever has ever seen anything strange as this? Who ever heard of such a thing? Has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a moment? But by the time Jerusalem birth pangs begin, her children will be born. Would I ever bring this nation to the point of birth and then not deliver it? Ask the Lord. No, I would never keep this nation from being born, says your God. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad with her, all you who love her and all who mourn for her. Never in history has there been a nation born in one day. Never. Except Israel. In one day. In 1948... David Ben-Gurion, the head of the Jewish agency, proclaimed the establishment of the state of Israel. U.S. President Harry Truman recognized the new nation on the same day. And on May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. 
I'm proud that the United States was the first nation to acknowledge that. And I do believe you bless Israel. God bless you. That is why our nation has been blessed. You may not understand that. I hope it doesn't go over your head. Only time in history that a nation was born in one day. In a moment, just like the Bible says. Then you have to go to another timepiece that is very, very powerful. This has to do with the 1967 Six-Day War. The Six-Day War was a prophecy given by the Hebrew prophets in the Bible 2,500 years ago. The Six-Day War took place in 1967 and was fought between Israel and her Arab neighbors, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, the nations of Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Tanzania, Lebanon, Morocco, Algeria, contributed troops also to these Arab forces. But in Zechariah chapter 12, the prophet said that there would become a time when the surrounding Arab nations would lay hold siege of Jerusalem and Judea. And that all the nations of the world would gather against Jerusalem. But that God would ultimately save the city and its people. This prophecy began a countdown to Armageddon. The second coming of the Messiah, Jesus. It's in Zechariah chapter 12, verse number 1. The message concerning the fate of Israel came from the Lord. The message is from the Lord. Who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and formed the human spirit. I will make Jerusalem like an intoxic drink and make the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judea. On that day, I will make make Jerusalem an immovable rock all the nations will gather against it and try to move it but they will not only hurt themselves for on that day I will begin to destroy all nations who come against Jerusalem I didn't say that you can say oh it's because America backs up that was written before America was even born You have to take a look. Go home and look at your map. This little speck surrounded by, I believe, 19 Arab nations, 50-some Islamic nations, and they want Israel gone. One state. They want it gone. They don't want, they don't want to, uh, uh, this is, they want the, they want the Jews killed. And I'm going to tell you why. Why is this hatred? It's more spiritual than what you realize because the line of Judah comes from the people of God. This is a hatred towards our Messiah. They all have their false Messiah that's coming, the Antichrist, but I'm telling you this is what the Bible speaks about in this last time. And here it is. We're seeing these prophecies take place. Look at this. Perhaps the most remarkable aspect of this prophecy is that the prophet said that the city of Jerusalem would be the focus of the entire world at that time. We are living, all eyes are on Jerusalem right now, like no other time. Well, let me go deeper. For the Jewish people, their ancient capital, which our previous president, Trump, decided to put the U.S. embassy in Jerusalem, founded by King David 3,000 years ago. Many Arab Muslims, however, believe that this city should be part of an independent state for Palestinian Arabs. The issue of who should control Jerusalem has been a cause of the Arab-Israeli war since 1967. Now the Bible says that generation shall not pass away when you see this happening. Look at me. 
I was born in 1967. Just w watch me. As long as I'm alive, you're okay. <laughs> you better pray. You better pray for me. <laughs> I was. In 1947, the United Nations. Is this interesting to anybody? Is this okay? I'm going to get my preaching going here, but I'm going to lay this groundwork. In the United Nations General Assembly approved in 1947, the United Nations. This is. People don't realize this. The United Nations General Assembly approved to plan and carve up an ancient land of Israel into a state of the Jews and other Arabs. This plan would be established Jerusalem as an international city to be governed by the United Nations. I want you to hear what I said. This extreme, unusual proposal suggests that a city is governed by the United Nations. Seeing this city is the only city on earth that has been given a covenant by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis Chapter 15, verse 18, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant, which means a promise, a pledge with Abraham saying, to your descendants, I've given the land and from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the city of Jerusalem is also the interest to the Lord because when Jesus comes back, he is going to establish his kingdom there and there will be a thousand year millennial reign. No, you're not going to float around in clouds in heaven in a toga suit with sheets on and play a harp. Understand your Bible. You are God saved us. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom, a millennium. We will rule and reign with Christ. That's what the Bible says. Well, to reign means we were a part of a kingdom. You'll have different assignments, different rewards, and all that depends on your faith in Christ and your obedience to him on this side of eternity. Psalms 87 verse 1. On the holy hill stands the city of Jerusalem and the temple God founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion through which the crowds of pilgrims enter from all nations. More than all the dwellings of Jacob, Israel. Glorious things are spoken of you. The city of God. Let me stop there. The battle for the city of Jerusalem is ultimately between the line of Judah are the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan, a fallen angel. This is what this battle's about. Now, I'm going to give you some more Bible prophecy, and I'm going to start preaching here and kind of play this out. There is another prophecy that is believed to happen right after, right before, right somewhere in the middle, before the rapture. It's the Ezekiel 38 prophecy. It's one that's not yet happened. It's the battle with the scribes, the battle of Gog and Magog, the land of Magog. This war is referring to Russia, Iran, Turkey, Libya, possibly Algeria and Tanzania, Sudan, and from the northern uh, parts of, uh, uh, will come from the north parts of Israel. Uh, and the Bible says God will defend Israel. Now, when he says you read the whole chapter, I'm not going to, but God says, I'll put my hooks in you, Gog and Magog, and I'll bring you straight down from the north. You can draw a straight line right from Russia where he's speaking about, and it goes right to Israel. Now, now well, let me read you Ezekiel 38, verse number 18. It will come 
about on that day that God comes against the land of Israel, Russia, says the Lord God, that my wrath will rise and show my face. In my zeal, in my blazing rage, I will declare on that day there will be most certainly a great earthquake in the land of Israel. So that the fishes of the sea and the birds of the sky and the animals of the field and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And all men that are on the face of the earth will tremble and shake at my presence. The mountains will crumble. The steep places will fall. And every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against God throughout the whole, uh, throughout all the mountains, says the Lord God. Every man invading soldiers sword will be against his brother or ally in panic and confusion in other words all these nations are going to turn against you, each other with pestilence and bloodshed I will enter into a judgment with Gog and I will reign on its uh, 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 I will rain on him torrents of rain with great hailstones fire and brimstone and hordes and many nations that are on, and the many nations that are with him thus I shall magnify myself and demonstrate my greatness and signify myself and I will be recognized and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations they will know without a doubt that I am the Lord oh, let me read you one more same prophecy by, by the prophet Joel. This is speaking of the same thing. Joel chapter 2 verse 20. But I will remove far from among the north, uh, from, from you the northern destroyers. The army will drive out into the land of barren desolate. And with its front towards the eastern Dead Sea. With its rear towards the western Mediterranean Sea. And its, and its stench shall come up like the decaying mass of locusts, a symbol of a forecast of the fate of the northern army in the final day of the Lord. And the, its foul odor will come up because he has done great things and the Lord will destroy, its, destroy the invaders. Here's what I want to tell you. Why now? We look at Russia and we forget to realize that the whole southern part of Russia is an Islamic state. Come on, you watch UFC. Those Russians, man, those are some bad dudes. <laughs> but not just that. There's also something that speaks about resources. Why they're coming to pillage Israel. Russia has uh, the natural gas pipeline into Europe. They've been threatening to shut it on and off for a long time whenever they want their way. And they've made a lot of money. But Israel, just a few years ago, discovered the largest pocket of natural gas in the Middle East on their land. And they're promising to send gas, natural gas there, which would destroy Russia's economy. The Bible speaks about the river Euphrates will be dried up during all this time and armies can literally be right there. Never before it's happened. One coincidence after another. And we're still singing, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. You don't need a friend. You need a Lord. You need a king. Some of you were my friend. I don't need you as a friend. I need a Lord. Friends are shady. <laughs> But my point, who would have thought, you just watch, I don't care what news you watch, 
that Russia is in cahoots with Iran. Iran is in cahoots with Hezbollah and Hamas. All of that taking place. This is prophesied. These exact nations thousands of years ago. And here we are right now. They just so happen to be all an alliance against Israel this time. And we're still debating if this is real or not. You don't need no other signs. You need obedience and repentance. Jesus is coming back. You need to tell your grandma, your grandchildren, your people you gave up on, Jesus is coming back. We are told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. However, there's not going to be true peace until Jesus returns. There'll be false pieces, but they're not going to last. No one knows that they are the hour. I'm, I'm going to jump down those verses if you're following me in the back there. God wants you to be ready. That is the whole portion of Jesus' depiction of these last days. Watch, be ready, don't be caught off guard. All these things I read you in those two chapters in Luke and in Matthew. He's basically saying, don't have your hand in the cookie jar when I come back. This emphasis of teaching of these signs, it's supposed to make you feel the urgency. But it, why is it so hard right now to motivate God's people? Why is it such a challenge? Why is it so difficult? There's almost like a cloud pressing against people we're competing with our cell phones, social media, everything grabbing our attention to pull us away from the things of God. So, you know, we get, some people get so caught up even in end times prophecy. They just spend every time just studying and looking and looking, but they don't witness to nobody. They don't tell nobody. The Bible says the gospel must be preached to all nations. Then the end come. That literally means there's one last person that's going to hear the gospel. And the trumpet's going to blow. I, I mean, I, I, was, I was talking to somebody. We were on, uh, uh, I was on speakerphone on the hands-free, you know, driving. <laughs> there might be a cop in here in California. And, and I mean, literally, I, I, you know, we were talking about this and I'm like, you know, my, my whole mentality, I have four grandchildren, four granddaughters. And, and I, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to the season of life. I love where I'm at in life, but there's this other side of me. I can't wait till Jesus comes back. I literally can't wait to get out of here. I literally can't wait. This place stinks. It stings a little bit more in this side of the country, too. I ain't going to lie to you. I was in the mall the other day. I'm like, are you kidding me? Make up your mind. Go one all or I. Never mind. But we get so caught up in this. I'm not here to woo you. I'm here to challenge you. Live holy. Live right. Tell people about Jesus. the only escape. I'm not here to move you or intellectually stimulate you. I'm not even a great eschatologist. I'm just a guy that loves to study. I want to be alert. I want to be awake. I'm watching Israel. I'm watching these nations. I know what's coming down. You know what's interesting? Jesus, a lot of times when he dropped a bomb, a sermon, or a teaching, he followed with parables. 
He followed with like, like an allegory story of what he just preached on. And so if you read Matthew 24, bam, it's like, whoa, wars, earthquakes, one left, one taken, abomination of desolations, all this stuff, the fig tree, Israel, did he? It goes, remember, there's no chapters in the Bible when Jesus was speaking. We put those there so we can look for reference. Turn to chapter 25, verse yada. Well, if you go right to chapter 25, which is still Jesus still talking, he says, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. That always blew me away. It says they all slumbered. Both the wise and the foolish were asleep at waiting for the return of the bridegroom. Wise and foolish. But the next verse says, but at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Something shook. Something awakened. I'm here to tell you that cry has been summoned. There is an awakening right now. We are in that very hour. And he says, then those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise said, uh, uh, the wise answered saying, no, least we should not have enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready were went with them to the wedding. And then the door was shut after the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, surely I say to you, I do not know you. Verse 13, that is, here it is. Here's the answer to this for that verse 13. That is the reason you should always be awake and be alert because you don't know the day or the hour the bridegroom will appear. Quit saying I'll get right with God tomorrow. Quit saying I'll start coming to church faithfully again. Quit saying I'll stop doing this sin in a few more months. Quit saying I'll start giving my tithes later. No, be alert and ready now. The door's shut. I told you, the door's going to shut soon. It's going to close. You know what it is? It's a, it's a picture. Let me just say something. The foolish, they're not unbelievers. They were waiting for his return. They're the lukewarm Christians. They're waiting for him. The world, it's, it's not referring to unbelievers. They're waiting. They knew. And when he came back, they knew where to go. But it was too late. If you jump down, I'm just going to paraphrase that. I don't want to take as much time as I normally do. Verse 48 says, let me, in the next parable, but I'm just going to read the last part of it. Verse 48 says, but what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? He literally says, Jesus, it is evil for you to think he ain't coming back. It is evil for you to squander, listen to me, the thing of commodity of time that he gave you. 
What do we mean the commodity of time? Each one of us have so many years, so many months, so many weeks, so many days, so many moments, you will be alive on earth. It is different for each one of us, but that is a gift of God. Time. He is the creator of it. He decides when. And we are, that is the commodity that he uses. He saves you. And isn't it funny? We didn't pray about when the devil told us to go get loaded and do evil. When we wanted to spend all kinds of money on things we shouldn't spend money on. But all of a sudden, man, we get saved and we're cautious. We're, we're, we're cautious now. I'm never cautious before. You didn't care. You stayed up all night, went to work tired. You did not care. I mean, God even helped Christians and gave you Red Bull. These are not all the signs. I mean, but there are plenty. Let me, let me just bring this a little more deeper. In the last days, there's some interesting things what the Bible says. I want you to picture the time frame of humanity here. Remember I told you, Jesus said, remember Daniel. Remember he said that? You really can't understand the complete book of Revelation without understanding the book of Daniel. They fit perfectly together. Daniel records the answer to this of what a true sign will be. In Daniel 12, verse 1, and this is also something you should think about Israel, at that time, not the time he's talking about, not when Daniel's speaking, he's speaking about the prophecy that he gave of the future. The archangel that stands guard over your nation will arise and there will be a time of anguish greater than since the nations first came to existence. Remember Jesus said that, right? It's coming, this great tribulation time. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book of in the book will be rescued. Many of those bodies lie dead, buried, will be raised up, and some to everlasting life, and some to the shame of everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine like bright as the sky, and those who led many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. And listen to it. But you, Daniel, keep watch of this prophecy, a secret. Seal it up until the time of the end, the end times. When many will rush here and there, and knowledge will increase. So the Lord tells Daniel, everything I spoke about, it's the same stuff that Jesus said in Luke 21 and Matthew 24. It's all in, it's all, it's all in Revelation. It's all there in Daniel. And he says, roll the scroll up. It's not for your time. But I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you a sign when is there? It'll be a time when men run to and fro and travel everywhere in the world fast. That's what it says in the Hebrew. And knowledge will increase. The Hebrew meaning of that means knowledge explosion. And I want you to think about something. Nothing has really changed in travel for thousands of years until just recent. When you look at the scope of things. Knowledge has been pretty much the same. It all just recently increased in the last hundred years. Everything. 
What would take an architect, literally a lifetime, can be done in a, a few moments on a computer now. Literally, these last days, it speaks of this Hebrew meaning of a knowledge explosion. So let me paint the picture here. From the Garden of Eden to 19, or let's just say 100 years ago. Look at me for a moment. I'm going to call this 100 years. Now, when you compare that, let's say 6,000 years of humanity, a biblical term. Don't get intuitive. I don't care. I'm just using a reference here. Okay, look, look. Nothing changed. But from the Garden of Eden to right around 1900, very little knowledge was given to humanity. What happened? Did humans all of a sudden become smart? He says, many will travel everywhere. Knowledge will increase. So how did men travel for 6,000 years? They rode horses. And they were at the mercy of a boat with no motor. A wind at the most. Then all of a sudden we begin to harness steam. The steam engine came. Then the automobile. Fossil fuels. Then flight. Supersonic flight. Jets. Aircraft. Space shuttles. Traveling all over the world. Where people would take a whole lifetime to travel across places. But from the very beginning to about 100 years ago, nothing changed. And all of a sudden, this stuff took place. At the same time, from the Garden of Eden to about 1900, men used torches or the very most sophisticated lamps to give light. From Garden of Eden to 1900, nothing changed. No knowledge. Nobody thought of anything. Then all of a sudden, we harnessed electricity. And then all of a sudden, this all happened 100 years ago. The light bulb came. Then all of a sudden, we begin to get coal plants. And all of a sudden, we harness energy and nuclear plants. Now we light up metropolises, cities, batteries, laser beams that can shoot from the sky, cut lasers. I mean, cut steel, do delicate eye surgery. All within the last hundred years. It's a fraction when you compare from the very beginning. No knowledge given. From the Garden of Eden to 1900, communication was basically the same. All throughout humanity. Smoke signals, the beating of the drums. Men would write on a scroll, give it to somebody on a horse, and they would give it to them. Then all of a sudden... The telegraph came. Shortwave radio. Radio. Telephones. Faxes. If you don't remember fax machines. Emails. Text messages. Now you can FaceTime anybody in the world at a second. Communication. Instantaneously. Face to face. All around the world. With satellites. Everything. Why is that a big deal? Because all the way from the Genesis to 1900, nothing's changed. And Daniel said, this is going to be the key sign of what's going to take place in the last days. Men will run to and fro and knowledge shall explode. And now what we discover with AI, what we would do on our own with a computer could be done in seconds. What about from the Garden of Eden 
1900. When you got sick with certain things, you're dead. I mean, you got a little gangrene. Oh, yeah, you're going to die. I mean, you're, you're, you're dead. I mean, that was pretty much it. There was nothing. Then all of a sudden, we've redefined death, clinical death, not breathing on your own, biological death, no heartbeat, no tissue perfusion. Now there's machines and medicines that can keep a corpse alive for months, even longer. You may say, what's wrong with it? It doesn't sound like perilous times or, or bad times. No, knowledge is good. Well, knowledge is good. I'm not against knowledge. I'm not against modernness of humanity. But here's the problem. This knowledge explosion did not produce the utopia that secular humanism has promised. They said, you know what? If we just educate people more, inherently we would do this. Start around the 60s and we gave everyone this knowledge of society, but we take God out. We would have a utopia, a great society. But after all these years, education without God has not produced this utopia. Utopia is a place or a situation of perfection, delight, a fairyland, a paradise. But without God, it is non-existent. Instead, we become a society enslaved by drugs, riddled with uh, sexual diseases, AIDS, witchcraft, drive-by shootings, rape, incest, child abuse, uh, a collapse of a traditional family. Knowledge without God only produces intellectual barbarians let me tell you some of Hitler's Nazis they were the most brilliant people in colleges around the world but they threw Jewish babies in a flame why knowledge without God is just intellectual barbarians Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free I have a solution for you this evening here it is. Hear my voice. If you're living in a hell, surrender to the truth. Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, the strength to the weary, the way, the truth, the life. You can turn to him. He will turn your pain, your sorrow to joy. He is the only cure for your chaos right now. Try him, love him, adore him. He never fails. If you believe that, you experience that. Praise him right now. The Bible says there will be an, a, a, a very simple, it's so simple. You see this. Technology is caught up with Bible prophecy. The Bible says there will be a common economic system coming. A cashless society. The Bible teaches this. We see this. A one world leader. Throughout the world, we would never in our right minds. The people who, remember, this, the, the men who prophesied this never thought this would happen. Think about this. And now, with embezzlement, just out of show of hands, who has been frauded by a bank or by your card in some way or form? Raise your hand. All of you that didn't raise your hand, that means you did it to us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Somehow, so you got a false account. You know what I'm talking about. Someone stole your identity. Something like that. Banks are freaking out over it. They're losing money like crazy. Counterfeit. We need help. We need an answer. All of a sudden, we see it. Revelations 13, 16. He shall cause both small and great, 
rich or poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, and that, by, and that no one will buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast, the number of his name. Here is the wisdom. Let him understand and calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. All of a sudden, we came up with something called cryptocurrency, digital currency. We don't need it. Every one of you have seen some video of Amazon sticking your hand over. It's coming. It's here. The technology is here. You're probably, if you have a pet, you have a chip in your dog. Carries information there. It's there. Humans have it. It's there in society now. Just waiting for the economies of the world to collapse. It would be the greatest answer to make everyone equal. Everyone the same. And It's just going to be, get rid of those terrible wumpa sinners. It's right here. And you're still not serving God. You still got one foot in the world. Everything's there. Nothing. You know what? Because this ain't going to save you. It may scare you. It may emotionally touch you tonight. But until you come to an altar and fully repent of your sins and surrender to God, it'll just be, you'll be like the foolish virgins. You know it's coming, but you won't fill yourself with the oil you need. The Bible says, now I'm going to take it one more step. Paul, what is Paul to the Gentile churches referring to the last days? He has his own chapter speaking about the last days. Just like Jesus did. It is in 2 Timothy 3 1. First, he says, But you know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. The Greek literally means hard to bear, hard to bear times. 2 Timothy 3 1. But let me read it to you another trend. Be aware that the final days of culture of society will be extremely fierce and difficult for the people of God. People will be self centered, lovers of themselves. You don't believe we're there? Go look at social media. (laughs) I mean, you're so in love with yourself, you take pictures of your food. (laughs) Self-centered lovers themselves, obsessed with money. They will boast of great things, strut around in their arrogant pride, mock all that is right. Literally a mockery of what's right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful, malicious slander, slaves to their desires. They will be ferocious, belligerent, haters of what is good and right. With brutal treachery, they will act without restraint, bigoted, wrapped up in the clouds with conceit. They will find their delight in the pleasure of this world more than the pleasure of loving God. They pretend to have respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like this. Here's Paul describing our society better than cable news. He's describing what's happening. And here's the funny thing. If you study what Paul, who is Paul writing to, he's writing to the church of Ephesus. He's giving a picture of what Christians will look like. People in church, not people of the world. That's why he says they have a form of godliness in the King James, but he says they pretend they love God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power to set them free. They love the song service, 
It's interesting. You, you think it's mean? Paul says, don't hang out with them. I mean, don't get mad at me, but that's what Paul said. You know, he wrote most of the New Testament. He said, don't hang out with them. It's going to rub on you. It's going to influence you. The power of this knowledge of prophecy, it's leading people, both 2 Timothy 13, 1, but evil men and sorcerers will progress from bad to worse, deceived and being deceived. They will lead people further away from the truth. He's speaking about, in the last days, spiritual leaders leading people further away. I am blown away what I'm hearing from preachers that I once respected talking their inclusiveness that God doesn't care about lifestyles no more. All of a sudden those scriptures don't mean what they mean. More religions, more man-made images, more gods. Don't tell me the world's getting better. Let, let me give you a picture just here in America because we, we, we live in a bubble in America. We are a very blessed nation and sometimes we think, well, you know what, we're, we, you know, we're not going through it. Well, the, the, first of all, most of the stuff was written about the other side of the world. It doesn't mean it's not going to affect us. This was written in the Middle East. If you're a Christian over there, the world's a lot different for you. Okay? But let me just talk about great America and Christianity. Ten years ago, this is a ten-year-old study on church growth. Is one Christianity is one of the least growing religions in America. Ten years ago, Christianity grew seven percent. Mormonism grew 112%, humanism 169%, Islam 210%, Buddhism 270%, Hinduism 337%, and the Wicca religion was the fastest growing religion by 1,675%. You know why you're deceived? Because us preachers, we, we deceive you. Because all we do is post our big pictures of our big crowds. And you think the world's coming together. We're having big revival. No, social media and church is like ESPN. We only show you the highlights. There's another, there's another social media for bloopers. <laughs> but let's be honest. We just show the crowds. And that's what Christian television did for all of us. It shows the big crowds. But reality is, that's reality. Nearly one out of five young people from ages 18 to 22 now self-identify as atheists. Who would have thought that prayer would get you in trouble in school? Reading the Bible, wearing a Christian t-shirt, will you get excommunicated in school? But homosexuals would not only become the norm and transgenderism, they can become ordained ministers and preach the gospel. Who would have thought? Who would have ever believed that the law would allow 4,000 babies a day in America to be killed in convenience in abortion clinics? Not because of some crisis or life of the mother. No, no. And all those things that they always want to throw up, which is less than 1%, just out of convenience. I'm not ready. I got something else to do. I can't afford it. Who would believe that murderers, rapists, child molesters, would be turned loose in our streets just to terrorize again. Who would have thought you go, you, you, stores were closed, they're being ransacking, just stealing like nothing, no care, no, no consequences for sin. 
Who would believe that armed gang teenagers would bring fear to the hearts of police officers? Who would have ever thought that armed police officers would murder and bring fear to people being crooked cops? The world is becoming more vicious, more godless. Now, if you're a Christian, there is only one answer. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the only way. There's not multiple ways. The answer's not in Republicans, Democrats, the White House. The answer is in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You are the salt, the preserving factor. And when the rapture takes place and all of a sudden the restrainer, the Bible says in Thessalonians, the restraining one is holding back the full power of the Antichrist. When it is removed, his fullness comes. What do you think that is? That's the church. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? It's estimated 60 million people in America. It's estimated. I don't know how real that is. That they say 60 million people are born again believers in America. You ever stop and think if the rapture happened and 60 million people, you know the people that work and pay their taxes, don't steal, don't lie. You know, not perfect people, but good people. What's going to happen to society? What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen to the good people that are praying, the worship that goes forth in churches, the prayers, all of a sudden they're gone? God inhabits the praises of his people, and they're gone, and then the tribulation begins. And you say, man, I'm going to serve, you know, I, I, I could serve God and get my head cut off. Really? I always laugh at people who say they can die for God, but they won't live for God. What about nuclear war? Is that prophesied in the Bible? It's interesting how I read about fire hailstones coming down on the armies that attack Israel. Some believe it's God himself doing it through volcanic or asteroids. Somebody, some actually believe, are these missiles? We don't know. This is written in the Iron Age of times when men didn't even know how things flew. What they were prophetically seeing. But before I read you this scripture, nobody knew what this meant. It was a prophecy. Could nuclear power be involved in the Bible? Greatest scholars couldn't understand what was being said here in Zechariah, what I'm about to read to you. All they knew was the last days. Nobody knew how it could happen. Keep in mind, these events in this prophecy have not taken place yet. But it is talking about Israel. Zechariah 14, 12. Then it shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve and their sockets and their tongues will dissolve in their mouths. But you think about something. How is it that your eyes dissolve away in their sockets and your tongue dissolve in your mouth before your body hits the ground? The American Academy of Science today says the most powerful nuclear bomb can produce 100 million degree Fahrenheit in one millionth of a second. 
That's how your flesh can fall off your bones while you're still on your feet and your eyes consume their sockets and your tongue consumed in your mouth. Shocking that Zachariah could speak of such things when electricity wasn't even invented. What about 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10? But the day of the Lord will be a thief of the night, which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, and both the earth and its works that are in it will be burned up. What is Peter describing? A great noise will disintegrate everything. The American Academy of Science says that there are three phases to a nuclear blast. One is the megaton blast. The heaven shall pass away with a great noise. The sound of an atomic blast alone destroys everything in close proximity. The American, it says everything will be melted with fire. The American Academy of Science says that the next eight miles, everything catches on fire spontaneously in a raging inferno. Radiation, radiation breaks down to 35 miles, breaks down 35 miles, and the earth is good for nothing for about 100 years. I don't know. Peter's describing something. All I can tell you is technology's caught up. Well, there's something else I want to read to you that could not have happened until the time we live in. Revelation 11.9. And for three and a half days, the Bible says two prophets in the tribulation to come back and preach. Some believe it's Elijah and Enoch. Some believe it's Elijah and Moses. That's not the important part. The important part is the Antichrist is going to kill them. And they're going to lie in the streets for three days. For three and a half days, all the people, the tribes and language nation will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. All the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other and celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them with their preaching. Now, here's the problem. How in the world can the whole world see these two men laying in one street? John is prophesying this in the book of Revelation. He's on an island, Potmos. He can't even see Jerusalem. Put a camera on it. The whole world will see them at the same time. The Bible says the whole world will see the image of the beast at the same time. Technology has caught up with Bible prophecy. It's time to surrender to him. There's no more time. Don't be a foolish virgin. Let go of your bitterness and what about this and what about that. When you stand before God, none of that's going to make difference. The last prophecy is this one. It's called the great apostasy. It means the great falling away of the saints. They'll fall away. It says, 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly, in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites, liars, and their consciences are dead. The Holy Spirit tells us clearly, in the last times, some will depart from the faith. 2 Thessalonians 2.1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken or troubled by either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, even though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. That day, capital D, will not come unless the falling away comes first. Then the man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition. 
One of the last day prophecies is millions of backsliders. Are you here to fulfill one of those prophecies? How many people do you know that they're conscious, they just not move no more? They're angry, they're bitter, they're complaining. They have all their reasons, their debates. Once served God with you, once stood beside you, and they've crossed to the enemy's lines. That's why Paul says in Hebrews 10, 23, let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. For we have, uh, for he who promised is reliable and trustworthy, faithful to his word. Let us consider thoughtfully how we can encourage one another to love and do good deeds. Ready for it? Ready for it? Not forsaking our meeting together as believers do for worship and instruction as a habit of some, but encourage one another all the more faithful as you see the day of Christ returning. He's already saying, as Christ comes, some people are going to slowly start missing. Isn't it funny? This is the only generation that's come up with this new theology. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Where in the Bible does it say that? Let me just say this. Everybody in the New Testament went to church, including Jesus. And that, Hebrews 10.25, is not a suggestion. It's a command. Forsake not. You get all mad. But let me ask you a question. When you do miss, how good is your spiritual life? And do you find yourself just closer to God, hanging out at Disneyland with Tinkerbell? This hatred towards Israel is part of the last days. The Jews, don't get me wrong, they have to get saved. Just because you stand for God's lineage and his people does not mean we agree for them denying Jesus. But don't you know what the Bible says? That when the Antichrist comes in the temple and desecrates it, the Jews are going to turn and realize that Jesus was the one. But they're going to suffer for the first time they rejected him. There's going to be one last chance for the Jewish people. They will turn to Christ, but they're going to pay a heavy heavy price for it. They're God's chosen. The Bible says that. Be secure with it. Your Savior's a Jew. I'm going to read two verses and I'm done. Luke 21 verse 34. I'm going to read the, the Amplified, the last one of it, if you're back there. But take heed to yourselves. Be on guard. Lest your hearts be overburdened and depressed. Weighed down with uh, giddiness and headache and nausea, self-indulgence, drunkenness, and worldly worries. This is Jesus. And cares of partying, par party, partying and business of life. And least that they come upon you suddenly like a trap or a noose. For it will come upon all who live upon the face of the entire earth. Keep awake. Watch at all times. Be discreet, attentive, and ready. Praying that you may have full strength and ability to be able to account yourself, listen to it, worthy of escape, to escape all these things taken together, uh, taken together that will take place and stand in the presence of the Son of Man. The Bible's pretty clear. It's talking about you will escape these things. Jesus is saying that. And the very thing I opened up with, if I can get anything into your heart as a child of God, Romans 13, 11 again, to live like this 
is all the more urgent. For time is running out, and you know it is a strategic hour in human history. It is a time for us to wake up, for our full salvation is never now than when we first believe. I know the worship team wants to come up here for a moment. I don't want to do that for a moment. I'm going to ask you this simple question. First of all, I thank you for staying longer than you normally would on a Wednesday. But my wife took over, so that's on her. That doesn't count against my time. <laughs> and it's so funny. But if the Lakers wouldn't overtime, you're not going to like walk out on the game, are you? I'm being honest. If you're still a Dodger fan... You, extra innings, you wouldn't quit. Why is it only in church that you get so stinking antsy? That's, that's not a plug for me to go long. That's not, a, that's not a little jab for that, but it's seriously. When worship goes a little longer, or the preaching's not to your cup of tea. It's funny. We'll be somewhere, and we won't even go to the bathroom because we don't want to miss something. But people, honestly, people can't even sit still in church. The word of God's being preached. People are about to get saved. Jesus is about to come back. And, and people get mad. I'm saying this not for me, but for the years long that you're going to continue to serve God before he returns. I'm trying to change your mindset. I'm trying to change your mindset. This shopping Christianity junk, it's got to be killed in you. I believe in every single scripture I preach today. I'm willing to put my life on the line for it and die for it. It's one thing to say it, but you start really pondering, at least me, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean when they, you think about Hamas coming in and beheading babies, burning them alive in front of their parents. That wasn't a political statement. That was a spiritual one. Pretty much deny your God. A mockery. Christians are being killed all over the world right now. Can't even go to church legally in some of the Middle Eastern nations of the world, communist nations of the world. And Americans, we're mad. We're mad because it's too hot, too cold, too dark. Why is there smoke? Why is there lights? How come he has so many translations? No, no, I'm serious. We find more to complain about than just get right with God. Jesus coming back. Are you ready? I'm not asking you hope so, think so. That ain't good enough. I don't care how many times you've had to rededicate your life and you're a leader in ministry. Who cares? I, when, you, when you stand before God, who cares? Nobody cares. I made it. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, Jesus says, pray that you have enough strength to escape before it even happens. Before all, the great wrath of the Lamb comes. 
You know what I'm talking about. You're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. You're slandering and have unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. And Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, my heavenly Father cannot forgive you. Jesus said, the kind Jesus, if you look at a woman and lust over her, it's better for you to cut your arm off and go to heaven with one arm than go to hell with two. If your eye offends you, pluck it out, throw it far from you. Sounds pretty serious to me about going to heaven. If you're not ready to meet Jesus, I'm not asking if you're, I'm not going to lump it. You get saved. All right, now if you're a backslider, I'm not going to do that. You know right now, you need to get right. Whether your spouse comes or not, whether your parents come or not, you know, I don't have to say nothing. I don't know how you live, but your heart's pounding. You know it's true. Don't wish it away. Quit looking for excuses not to come to an altar. If God's convicting you, just come meet me here right now. Just get up and come to the altar right now. Come. Come. Quit waiting for someone to go first. Come. 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 There's more. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Let the pride go. They're coming in Jesus' name. Some of you are clapping your conviction away. Come. No, look at me, look at me. Come. Stop running. Come. You're not going to lose. You lose if you don't come. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Come. Come. Oh, he's here. I don't, I'll be honest with you, I'm not here for nothing. I, I'm not here for anything at all. I'm not here for a love offering. I'm not here for anything. But this is what God told me to preach. But I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I know what I'm feeling. Some of you are just straight out lying right now. You're lying. You're lying. I don't know why. I'm not saying it's everybody. But I know when God speaks to me. Come. See, they're still coming. Some of you think you're not ready. You are not ready to be left behind. Some of you are saying, why are you, you're, you're pressuring me. 
Look, look at me. I am. Don't bow your head. I, I, no one even said bow your head. Keep your eyes open. Straight out. Yeah, a man of God came in here to pressure you. There's nowhere in the Bible says I shouldn't. I mean, did you not read these scriptures? That They sound pretty pressuring to me. And before you get mad at me for pressuring you, you shouldn't pressure someone to get saved. That's not true. There's no, not one scripture that says that. Not one. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. Did you get mad when someone pressured you to give up your virginity? Did you get mad when someone pressured you to get high or lie? Why are you getting mad for me pressuring you to go to heaven? Come. They're still coming. Come. I live for this. No, this right here. Not what I did for the last hour. This. This is all that's going to matter in my ministry when I stand before God. People I led to Christ. That's all that matters. Jesus' first words, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So here it is. This is the last call. If you know for sure you'd go to heaven, if Jesus came back, you'd go. If you know for sure, don't lie in church. If you know for sure, stand to your feet. Stand your feet if you know for sure. If you don't know and you're still sitting down, why haven't you came up here? Come. If you waited that long to stand to your feet, you need to come to this altar. Come. 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 Come get set free from backsliding. Get some oil in your lamp. The bridegroom is coming. So here it is. I encourage you, please don't leave. You that are here giving your life to Christ, rededicating your life. Yeah, it's all right. We'll wait for you. Come quickly. Come, come. Even if you're in the back still, come. You know what's funny? There's some people here that you know the person right next to you is not right with God. And you haven't even told them, dude, go up there, man. I'll go with you. You know it. It's your spouse. It's your parents. That's the problem with Christianity. Look, this is Christianity. A two-story building. There's your friends, your family, your co-workers, your relatives. They're having a good time. You don't want to bother them, but the bottom floor is on fire. Destruction's coming, but you see them having a good time. You don't want to do anything. You don't love them. You do not love them. I don't care what you say. If you love somebody, you're not going to let them go to hell, even if they get mad at you. We're at the airport. I've got to rent a car. The guy didn't have it ready. I made a reservation. And he's trying to tell me and this other guy something. 
And I said, dude, I mean, he said just like this, dude, we've been waiting. Sir, you're being hostile with me. I go, I'm like, one of them, can you even spell that word, dude? It's so sensitive. And the problem is, we'll get mad about this stuff. I don't, want, I don't want people to go to hell. That's why I became a pastor. After I got saved, I realized this is real, man. And now when I see Bible prophecy coming to pass, it's real. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do. If you're here and you're, you're, you're there and you're saved, I, man, praise God. But if you believe this message, you better tell someone about Jesus tonight. Tonight, get on social media, call somebody, go to work tomorrow, go to school tomorrow. Because what you say you believe is not what you believe. What you believe is what you do. If you're up here, give your life, rededicate, and go for God. Don't live in condemnation. But some of you need to get rid of some things in your life. Just get rid of them. Get delivered. Get rid of them. And then the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to be real transparent. You want to leave? I am not taking a love offering for myself. I'm taking one for your pastor. Oh, it got real quiet. Come up here. Come. Get saved. Get saved. Get saved. God, Pastor Isaac mentioned, do you realize I'm only standing here because Christ gave gifts to the church? Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That you'll no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried by every wind of doctrine. I'm standing, not because he's my friend. You're here, I'm here, because somebody pioneered and built this church. You may be getting saved because I preached this sermon, but I'm, I'm, I'm on the shoulders of somebody else that's here every week. And when they say they're going to honor him, honor him. I'm not that you haven't done that, but I, I asked Pastor Isaac. He told me, I go, man, I'd love to say something. All you at this altar, bow your heads. Bow your heads. You're not praying to me. You're praying, Lord, mean this with the bottom of your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of all my sins. Wash me in your blood. I surrender my life to you now. I receive you now as my Lord and as my Savior. From this day forward, I'm going to serve you. But I can't do it on my own. I need your help. So fill me now with the Holy Spirit that I can be what you want me to be and do what you want me to do. In Jesus' name, I'm yours. Now, Father, I pray for each one that said this prayer. Strengthen them, touch them, set them free over every shackle of bondage that they would walk in freedom and fulfill their purpose and destiny. Father, I pray for the REACH Church and the REACH Network. Lord, at this critical time in history, Lord, let us not fall asleep. Let us be awakened. Let us have dreams of your return. Let us wake up with it the first thing on our mind that we would not be pushed to the right or the left. Urgency, come inside. Let the word of God that we should read every single day and remind us 
You said, encourage one another with these words. Warn one another daily of your return. Oh, Jesus. We thank you that you let us be alive at this time and this hour. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, thank the Lord. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.